Trying to be doing that bullshit. bullshit, bullshit. Back to good news. Welcome back. DS with Brian Simpson, episode 40-something. I think it's 48. I never know. I really should be more prepared, especially after weeks and weeks and weeks of not doing this. I should, at the very least, know which episode this is off the top of, of the, uh, the hour or the episode or whatever. So many things going on in the world, and <clears throat> I really don't have an explanation for why I've been away for so long, other than that it just it feels like my my capacity to care about things has been overwhelmed you know what i mean it's like my emotional immune system is compromised you know what i mean i have emotional hiv it's like i i i am i am no longer I don't, I don't even know how to explain it because you know something that I, that I, you know, I knew this when it started. Like I knew it, I knew it intellectually, but I didn't know it, uh, spiritually or, or, or in, in, internally. I don't know what, what the fucking word is, but on top of all the problems going on in the world, no matter who you are, no matter what, what, you know, and, 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 you know, no matter what your walk of life is, on top of all the problems, the pandemic, the racial uprising, the economic uh, inequality and all of these things, um, you know, despite the lockdown and everything, you still got all your regular problems. You know what I'm saying? Because like when this when this started, it was very easy, at least for me and for some and for most it was very easy to go, oh, we buckling down for a couple months? Fine. You know what I mean? I got savings. I got a little nest egg squirreled away. Boom. Let's focus 100% of our energy on not spreading the coronavirus. Right? But then you forgot, oh, nigga, you still got debt. You still got depression. You still need to forgive your cousin. You still need... Um, you still need to get in shape, nigga. You still need... You still got high blood pressure. You still got... You know, all of these things, like whatever your problems were, you still got them problems and the world coronavirus. And then it's just nonstop. You know, then you got to worry about your family catching it. You got to worry about and if, even if they don't catch it, you got to worry about, yo, are they working? Who quit their job? Who, what, you know, is uh, is everyone OK? Is everyone I care about OK? And the coronavirus, then boom, racial uprising. You know, am I doing enough? Cause somebody like me, like I've been talking about this shit for years. This isn't a new thing, you know, and I'm exhausted. It, and, and, you know, it, it, it's like your energy is constantly being divided and then controversy in the comedy community, specifically aimed at the comedy store of which I am a, uh, I don't know what you call it, an alum, a member. I'm a paid regular there. So that, you know, that's the family. That's my, tribe and it's like all of this shit is like dividing up your because you because because that's the thing you your your interests can be infinite 
But your concern is finite. Your the amount of you know you can say whatever you want. You can say that you care about all these things, but the truth is, I'm talking about actively caring. You know what I mean? You can you can check a box. You can you can answer the question correctly and say you care, but your ability to actually show that you care is limited. You don't have the resources to give a fuck about everything. You know? It's sort of it's sort of like the same thing that happened in the same thing we're trying to avoid with the coronavirus, right? Where it's like we're trying to avoid not we're not trying to avoid everyone catching it, because that's almost inevitable. We're trying to avoid too many people catching it at once. Right? Because then there aren't enough intensive care beds in the hospitals. So what happens when, you know, say, you know, your county or your city or your province or your town or whatever has, let's just be generous and say they have 20 intensive care beds. That's a lot for, for one hospital. But let's say they have 20 intensive care beds and there's 25 people that need intensive care. Cause keep in mind, again, even though there's a coronavirus, everybody still got out of their own, their other shit is going on. The same shit that people would normally go to the emergency room for, that shit's still happening along with the coronavirus. So, so let's say they, they, they're out of beds and somebody comes in and needs emergency and intensive care and there isn't a bed for them. There isn't, a, there aren't the machines to keep these people alive. Then, because this is what happened in Italy. Then we got to choose who dies. We got to go, well, listen, th- this person is going to die without this. And we only got, we don't have one. We either got to take somebody off one. Or we got to let this motherfucker die. You know? And it's like, and I feel like it's the same thing with my, with, with my, with my em- my my active concern where it's like i can't i can't spin all of these plates i have i have to i got my own shit going on and all this other shit that i can't ignore you know my profession has pretty much been eradicated temp- at least temporarily but that there's no there not at least not in southern california there's no way to do stand up in the traditional sense. You know what I mean? Now there's, there's, I'm sure there's secret underground shows and people being defiant or motherfuckers having COVID parties, whatever. I ain't one of those motherfuckers. You know what I mean? Um, but, um, but it's like I had, I had to stay on social media for a minute because it's just a lot, bro. It's a lot. It's a lot to, 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 to get, cause I'm gonna tell y'all something. This is, you know, this is a little inside baseball, but I, um, if you're listening to the podcast, maybe you're probably, uh, I don't know, cause some people have been listening forever since the first episode, but some people have come here because of, uh, my episode of your mom's house and my episode of, uh, of, uh, David Spade's, uh, lights out on Comedy Central, right? And what you don't know is about, I want to say maybe a month before I found out I was going to be on those things. Um, I got rid of my Twitter because I, I, again, s- all the social medias make me feel overwhelmed. It makes me feel like it's too many things 
I have to concern myself with and I, I, I can't do that. Right. It's just a lot. It's exhausting. And I was like, look, I could, can't, if I focus on one, th- one social media, I'll do fine. You know, I can do okay at it. But if I got to divide by, if I got to have a, a Twitter, a Instagram, a Facebook, a Snapchat, uh, whatever the new shit is, the kids are hiding from their parents. I can't do that. I, they're all going to be shitty, you know? So I deleted my Twitter, right? Cause I'm like, that's the easiest one to delete. I have the least engagement on there. I had the least amount of followers on there. I used it the least. So that was an easy one to cut off. And then maybe a couple days later, I found out, Oh, you're going to be, uh, so not a couple days later. So then, <clears throat> You have, I think if you delete your Twitter account, you have like 18 days or 21 days or whatever, whatever amount of days it was to undo that decision. And the day after that time ran out is when I found out I was going to be on TV, you know, and they're, and they're, and they're asking me where my Twitter, and this is, and this is, a, this is the fucked up thing about it, right? Is people automatically assume that if you delete uh, your Twitter or any other social, if you delete your Twitter, that you are trying to hide your previous tweet, that you're afraid that something from your tweets is going to pop up, you know, and it's like that. No, but it, but, but it does look that way. If you're, if you have fucking Hollywood brain, right. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, so time passed, time passed, time passed. And the thing is, you know, David Spade shouted me out on Twitter. Like he was trying to shout me out on Twitter, but I wasn't on there. So he was, it was awkward and people were trying to direct me to his Instagram. And then maybe a few weeks later, I was on, uh, your mom's house, you know, shout out Tom Segura and Christina P. I was on your mom's house. And again, you know, they were trying to shout me out on the medias and I wasn't on Twitter. I was just on Instagram and you know, it, whatever. But then that put pressure from my team. My, my agent was like, yo, you got to get back on Twitter. Even if you don't fuck around with it, at least be on there. But I'm like, all right, boom. And, um, by then, you know, I had, even before I canceled my Twitter, I had ignored it for so long. It had been years since I gave a fuck about Twitter. You know, it'd been years since I paid attention to it. It always confused me. It always intimidated me. It, it, you know, it's the language of it has changed over the years and it makes me feel like an old person. I, I get so confused. Uh, um, whatever. The point is, I'm like, fine, I'll fucking get on there. And, you know, I still kind of ignored it a little bit. I would tweet here and there or maybe share something from Instagram to there, whatever. And then, um, and then, uh, you know, COVID happened and then the, the, uh, the, uh, then George Floyd was murdered and, and, you know, it was like, boom, I'm back on Twitter. I'm active. I'm trying to keep up with where the rallies are. I'm trying to keep up with where the donations are being sent. I'm trying to follow what's being said at the city council meeting. So I'm back on this hole. And I'm like, oh, damn, this is not what I remember it being. I remember this being like a cesspool full of bullshit ass, uh, you know, uh, attack mobs and, uh, and faux intellectuals and people, you know, uh, like actually virtual signaling and not meaning what they saying. And, 
and just it was just a a, a thing of negativity. You know what I mean? It was like I, but it was, it's not like this is all. This is very positive. People are coming together. People are raising money. Oh, blah, blah. and then it it you know it's just like everything else. Like when nine eleven happened, you know, some of y'all weren't alive then, but when nine eleven happened, it was a big tragedy. Everybody came together for maybe except for if you even remotely looked Arab. I don't know what their experience was, but everybody that didn't look a little Arab on nine twelve, nine thirteen, maybe all the way to nine twenty, it was kumbaya out this motherfucker. Everybody loved, everybody showed everybody love, respect. Uh, uh, you know, we were everyone adopted the black people head nod for about two weeks. And then it was right back to shit. And that's what Twitter was to me. It was like, oh shit, everything's on this. Oh, and then it was like, or maybe it was me. Maybe I just, you know, I, I was barely following anyone. I was barely involved in any discussions. And maybe as I did that more and more, I just started to discover all the things that made Twitter feel gross. Um, before, which is what made me leave. But anyway, I'm still on there, you know, cause you got to engage. Or whatever, but you know, I I think it's like Twitter's the most is the handiest one. It's the most useful one, but Twitter's just a tool. You know what I mean? I don't blame Twitter itself. You know, Twitter is humanity. Twitter is people. Twitter is because you know you've if you've listened to the podcast from the beginning, you know my main beef with social media is that this new generation of people that grew up with it where it's it's always been a part of their lives right i'm 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 an elder millennial or whatever you want to call it what is it generation q or whatever the fuck it is but i'm i'm in that little that little middle generation i was born in 82 and we when i was born there was no internet at least there was as we know it there was no internet there was no social media um only very 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 rich people had portable phones and as I became a teenager, computers, no, no, even before that, when I was in elementary school is when they first kind of started having computers, um, with internet access. Very, very limited though. The internet wasn't really a focus. Going in the chat room was not, um, a huge thing. And then it slowly started to become a thing. And then when, when I was maybe 20, is when broadband started going to everyone's um, <clears throat> home. And so that was a little, maybe around 2002, 2003, something like that. And then shortly after that is no, no, no. Right around that same time is when everyone started having cell phones. Right. And at that time, MySpace was the thing. And then right around that same time is when a lot of the people that are like in their twenties now were born. Wait a minute, th- th- that math is all fucked up, but you get what I'm saying. There are people that were, they were born, you know, at a time where by the time they were old enough to care about things, their social media existed, you know, like the same way cartoons were, uh, were a big part of my childhood and wrestling and all those things. Social media has always been around for them. And so to them, it's real. And that's always been my beef with social media was it, it to, to a lot of the kids that grew up with nothing but that they, they, 
it's like a, it's like an extra life lesson for them to learn that social media is not, it's not a real, it's not an accurate representation of the people on there. It's, it is who you would like to be perceived as, right? It's also, it's like what you do on social media doesn't mean anything if it's not, if it doesn't coincide with you doing something in the real world, you know, I've used this example before, but social media is so fake that you can literally create, and people do this, create an, create a dummy account to start arguments with themselves. (laughs) You know, it's like, who, what is this? There's people that post shit about who they are and then go do the opposite. You know, so it's like, I can't take your, with your posts as face value, especially like if I don't know you as a person, I can't take your posts at face value. Especially if I know you to be the opposite of what you're representing on it. And, but all, but most especially if you're a fucking stranger, you know? Anyway, I said all that just to say, it's like, it makes me sick. I hate it. I had to avoid it. I had to stay away from it because it was literally fucking me up, fucking up my mental health. You know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> and I, and I'm actually, I'm very sorry because I should have been, it's like, there's so much to talk about now because I've been away for so long. It's almost like when I go too long without talking to my mama and then I got to talk to her for, you know, four and a half hours to make up <laughs> for all the funk. So we did that. Um, but, but, you know, whatever, however long it goes, that's how long it goes. I don't give a fuck. There's no rules here. This shit is mine. This is part of the reason why I don't have a co-host, even though that might happen soon. Um, I'm a control freak, you know, but it might, it might help. It might help. Um, so many crazy fucking things. I don't even know where to start. I should have made like a little outline, but, um, let's just, Let's just get the ele- what is well, which which elephant is in the motherfucking room? Which elephant is in the room right now? Um, well, you know what? Let's just let's just hit, tackle the hardest thing. Oh, is it really hard? Who fucking knows? Um, the Crystalia issue. Now, if you unless you've been you know out of the country or in a coma or something, um, Crystalia was recently uh, accused of sliding in the DMs. Of underage girls, there were, you know, there were screenshots, there was underhanded, like subterfuge, you know, then, you know, he, then his lawyers made a statement, had a comeback, and, you know, the girl had left some shit out that made it seem not as bad, but then it was like all these dozens, you know, and, you know, depending on which sources you believe, hundreds of people with the same story and the same thing, and it's like, and it's like the, you know, the way it's reported is like, oh, these allegations have rocked the comedy community and when are comedians going to speak out and speak up? And it's like, look, man, I don't know where this attitude comes from that, you know, it's like, who the fuck has to speak about these things? You don't have to, if you don't have, if, if you don't mean this, cause this is how I feel about everything. If you don't mean what you're saying, be quiet, be quiet. The world doesn't need you to be fake. 
No one needs that. No one needs your fake uh, outrage or your fake defense. You know what I mean? Because there's, there's people that feel both ways about it, just like there are every time something like this happens, where it's like, there's people that are like, hang that motherfucker up by his balls. And then there's other people who are like, he was never funny and I never liked him and he never, and all those people are, not all of them, but a lot of those people are full of shit. You know, again, I don't believe you. I gotta see, I gotta see you act like that. I gotta see you keep that same energy when I see you. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, bro, first of all, let's, let's, let's talk about, uh, like Whitney Cummings, right? She, a lot of people like pressured her to speak on it. Like she had to, she had to make a statement like within 24 hours of the, or 48 hours of the allegation. Like, why are you being silent with me? And she had to like make this statement. You know what I mean? And it's like, and I don't, I don't know her personally. You know what I mean? I don't. Um, but from everything I've known about her in my, my interactions with her, she's a kind person. She's a, you know, she, I don't know her to have been shitty to people, you know? Um, but I, but it's bullshit. It's unfair that she, cause sh- that she should have to speak about some shit when the people involved ain't saying shit. You know what I mean? She, cause, because it, it was literally right after the allegations came out, you know, and it's like, it's like all this pressure was on her to say something and not him. And she said something, you know, but she was, she was, I don't know, man. Maybe this is Hollywood. Maybe I'm just brand. Maybe I'm just brand new to this. Cause I'm a baby in this game, but I'm like, I'm like for you to have to come out against your friend, because that's the thing. If you don't know, cause this is, this is how, this is my stance. Every time something like this happens, if I don't know any of the people involved, fine, you know, take whatever side you want to side. Well, but it was like, it was like, if that's your friend, I don't expect you to do anything. If, if if some of you motherfuckers ain't never had a friend, <laughs> you don't you know what I mean? Like you don't you don't actually have real friends, you because you know that's like family. That's like somebody that you actually care about. I'm not I'm not upset with you if you don't condemn their behavior the moment something happens, or if you don't condemn them. You know you can love someone and still hate what they do or hate what they've done. It's a it's it's fucking it's plenty of murderers locked up right now who mamas come and see them every week. I ain't mad at their mamas. That's their baby. He just happened to be a murderer. She still love him. You know, I don't expect somebody. I don't expect your friend some to throw you under the bus uh, uh, immediately at the first sign that you did. Because because the truth is. As a friend, either you sort of kind of knew and defended and, 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 and chose not to see it. Or you're dealing with a fucking sociopath or that person isn't really your friend, which is hard to say out here in Hollywood. It really is hard to say, you know, a lot of these motherfuckers are goofy, man. They are. And then the other side of it is. I don't know where this idea comes from. That. Because I'm a comedian, if another comedian does something wrong, I have to defend him no matter what they fucking did. Where the fuck that rule come from? Because that's not the case up over here, bro. You know what I mean? I don't know you. I don't know you enough to speak to your character. 
You know what I mean? It, there's a difference between a colleague and a friend. Now, I have real friends. You know what I mean? Everybody that was my friend, my friend before, because because to me, friendship involves sacrifice. It don't got nothing to do with a motherfucker doing something nice for you. You know what I mean? Please believe that. If you have any intentions of coming to Hollywood, just know that. A motherfucker doing something nice for you don't make them your friend. Because that nice thing is nothing to them. You know what I mean? A, a motherfucker giving something up for you, th- that's friendship. A motherf- or a motherfucker putting something on the line for you, that's friendship. But somebody giving you something that don't mean shit to them, that's not friendship. You know what I mean? It's like it's like a a, a millionaire giving you a hundred a millionaire giving you a hundred bucks, or a, a, a millionaire giving you a thousand bucks is, doesn't make them your friend. That thousand dollars ain't nothing to them. That's like you flicking a quarter to a homeless person. It might it, and it might have a profound impact on your life, but that doesn't make them your friend. I'm not saying they're your enemy. I'm not saying they're using you, but I'm saying friendship has not been proven because somebody did something nice for you. Friendship is about soccer to me. This is the lesson I've learned in life. You don't know somebody as your friend until, until it's time for, until something's at stake. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, that's true of most things, not just friendship, but like until something's at stake, until you have to give up something. Um, you know, I'm, I'm on the fence. I'm suspicious about your claims of who you are or what you stand for. You know, now I will say, as far as I know, I've never seen, um, you know, I I can't tell if people are friends or not, but it's like, I don't feel the need to defend you because you're a comedian. Now I will defend the comedy store. I will defend jokes. I'll defend some, I'll defend something a comedian said. I'll defend something you said trying to be funny. Because I def, I want to defend the right to try to be funny. I mean, Patrice O'Neill said it the perfect way. Comedians and, and Dave Chappelle kind of elaborated on it as well, but we get paid for the attempt. For the attempt. You know what I mean? It's like everything ain't gonna hit. We don't know if it's gonna hit till we till we shoot it. And so you 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 know, you you have to take the misses with the hits. It's just that simple if you want comedy to exist. So a comedian attempting to make a joke and being and it being shitty or landing shitty, that's one thing. You being a shitty person, that's on you. You got to wear that. Something you did, that's on you. You know, I'm not your, you know, I'm not your buddy. You know, and I, I don't hate the motherfucker as far as I know. I've never seen him be shitty to nobody. Um, But the, but this idea See, this is another thing I hate. This idea that the comedy store, that like because some because the comedians that did something fucked up are perform at the comedy store, that the comedy store is somehow like the headquarters for depravity in the entertainment industry or in, in the comedy world. And that's nonsense. That's absolute nonsense. There is nothing happening at the comedy store that ain't happening everywhere else. The comedy store is just a, the comedy store is a clubhouse for the comics, right? It's a, it's a, it's an entertainment venue for everyone else. It's somewhere for us to perform, but it's a, it's a clubhouse and ain't nobody getting molested up in there. Wow. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just, that's not what it is. You know what I mean? The the comedy store itself is not, it's not like they're harboring, uh, uh, you know, fugitives or some shit. You know what I mean? It's like every kind of person does every kind of person flocks to the entertainment industry. We don't do they don't do you don't do background checks to get up in the comedy store. The requirement is that you be funny. 
and that you be around. That's it. If you funny and you around and you cool, that's so that's three. That's it. The three the three things. If you're cool, in other words, you're not shitty to be around. You're funny and you around, you'll get up at the comedy store. That's it. It's, it's nothing else. What you doing in your personal life, no one digs into it that deeply. Like, you know, I don't know what what people how people would react if something happened. You know, but um, but it's not like uh, Crystalia was bringing underage girls to the comedy store, or that we were like there was like a room for him to meet up with them at the like the comedy store accommodated this. My all my all my interactions with Crystalia are the same. It's a it's a quick what up. He shows up about fifteen to thirty minutes before his set. He has his little squad. He does his sets. He goes home. He don't do a lot of mingling. He don't do a lot of, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of holding court like some. He just was all business. So it, it's it's not like some cover up at the comedy store. You know what I mean? And a lot of the thing is, you got to understand a lot of comics, a lot of the comics that are like trying to throw the comedy store under the bus. They want to be up in there so bad. And I get it, man, because when you're on the outside, that shit sucks. Especially when you feel like you're funny enough, especially when you feel like you're all those, those things I named. When you, if you feel like you're funny, you're there and you're cool and you still ain't in and you can't figure it out. Like you put in your time and you can't figure out. I'm, and I'm going to tell you, it's because the perception of you is that you're, you're missing one or more of those things. You know, see, that's another thing. You, something that comedy has taught me and it, and this is just from interacting with so many people that you know that want to do this or they get bitter about it or you know like they've been doing it for too long and not having no progress or whatever because everyone feels like that <clears throat> but something I had to learn a lesson I had to learn was that your perception of your own shit doesn't matter outside of you having the confidence, but you aren't perceived. You have to, you have to take how you, how you perceive yourself and how other people perceive you. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like so many, so many people are like, but I'm a beast, right? But nobody else is saying you a beast. You feel what I'm saying? Like, like when people that maybe your friends are saying it, but it's like until, until, other comics, like comics that don't know you or comics that never met you, you, you'll know because they'll tell you. Most comics, the real ones, their favorite shit is discovering a new beast. You know? And so it's like, if you think you're a beast and nobody else does, then, you know, maybe you need to do some evaluation or maybe there is some kind of hate for you. I'm not taking that off the table. But 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 you got to put everything on the table. It could be that, that 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 it's you. It's probably that. You know what I mean? That it's something you're missing or something you're not working on or something that you some bridge you burn. But you know, and then honestly, a lot of times too, you know, you got to understand too, when it comes to comedy, there's only ever been one person in charge of the comedy store. You have to understand that as well. 
Now, you know, your relationship with the staff and all of that, that factors into a lot of things, too, about whether, you know, whether you get up on friends and family and all that other stuff. But there's only been ever been one talent coordinator, you know, and and so if that person don't fuck with your comedy. It's a wrap. Because that's the most important thing at the comedy store is like the, the talent person has to fuck with your comedy. And if they don't, guess what? Go somewhere where they do. Don't waste your time at the comedy store if they don't fuck with you. Because there's there's all there's all sorts of tribes in the L.A. comedy scene. You know what I mean? And they all got fucked up people in them. And some of you motherfuckers know who those people are. And maybe you not protecting them, but you not calling them out. You know, I don't know. Maybe you think they can do something for you or. Maybe I don't know. I don't know what the what the rationale is, you know. But um I heard Ron Funches say it. He's like, so many people, so many people are brave when it's easy. You know, when it's convenient. You know, and that immediately makes me suspicious of people. I'm like, you know, when you're just a little too loud, it's it's almost like it's like the dirty motherfucker when they see that somebody has shined a flashlight on your dirt. They're like, oh, this is a chance for me to direct attention away from my dirt. And they put a spotlight on it. Yep, yep. Over there, dirty than a motherfucker. You know what I mean? And maybe that's just me. I'm fucking cynical, man. I'm a cynical motherfucker. I really am. Um. Again, I'm just, I'm exhausted, man. I'm tired of, of everything. And and honestly, I'm losing faith in it all. I'm losing I, I I'm there's a there's a cynic. The, the, my inner cynic is full. I think I've been feeding it. And when this all started, I was so optimistic, but now I realize like it's all bullshit. I don't I don't think I don't think America's going to make it out of this thing unscathed. You know? And don't get me wrong. I don't want that. I don't want it all to fall apart. I wish there was a way that we could fix it all. It's, it's like when you total a car, when it's like the, to to repair this is more costs more than this whole thing is worth. It's like you might as well just send it to the junkyard, you know. Because and and this is why I think that because almost all listen. We are experts at problems that we can kill or destroy. If if the solution to racial injustice and the coronavirus and socioeconomic inequality um, was could ex- could 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 be blown to pieces or tortured or invaded. We we would have done we would have done amazing by now. This all of this shit would be over by now. But that's not who we are. We're not built like that. Because our you know, we can't kill the coronavirus yet. And so our next best option is to just give a fuck about other people, and we can't do that either. That's not how you gotta understand American capitalism is built on not giving a fuck about other people. It's a it's built on the concept that you need to get yours at the expense of other people. You know, and 
I mean, that's what it is. And so the, you know, that's why, um, a virus that's making everyone sick in the richest country in the world, um, is also ravaging the economy. <laughs> you know, cause all the workers staying home almost tanked the economy, staying home for one month, almost destroyed everything. <laughs> We like y'all understand, man. This is this is a machine that runs on black misery. It no, it runs on misery, period. But the black misery is the good stuff. You know, that's the uh that's the premium. They'll settle, they'll settle for that for that 89. You know what I mean? They'll settle for that for that 87 octane. You know, they'll settle for poor white misery, but they they really want that black misery, that good, that unleaded. <laughs> they want their unleaded, bro. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's like the we have to care. Y'all think that's gonna happen? I don't know, man. We can't sustain that. We cannot sustain that. We can go to we can go to war for a decade. We could. We could go to war for decades, but we can't just look out for each other for. Six months. You know what I mean? It's been four months. You know? And I don't blame, listen, I don't blame the people. I can't blame people that's out here trying to get, trying to make a living, right? Because it's easy for a politician or a celebrity to tell everybody to stay home, right? When at the same time, their rent still going to be due, right? Cause, cause keep in mind, they didn't put a moratorium on rent. They put a moratorium on evictions. You still going to owe that rent. That's, that's something I never got wrapped my head around, but then they want you to stay home. You know what I mean? Our country has been run by a psychopath, not a psychopath, but a, a, a malignant narcissist who is only concerned with his personal self image and nothing else. You know, like the same man that makes sure anybody that comes within a thousand feet of him is tested for coronavirus. He gets tested every single day. His staff gets tested multiple times a day. He refuses to wear a mask in public. Um, Like he he is telling people that it don't matter. And in his personal life, he's scared to death to catch it. You know what I mean? He's literally having rallies. When he knows that it's going to make people more likely to catch it. People got sick at his last rally. He's having another one. He's more concerned about protecting statues, Confederate statues, which, by the way, wonderful segue. Um, fuck that shit, too. Cause this is the tactic, guys. This is the tactic that's always been used here. They throw us some symbolic bullshit and want us to be quiet. And we settle for that shit too much every time. In fact, you know, all these people that want training or they want to take down a statue or they want to fire, you know, they want the cops to, oh, the cops been fired. They see, they want you. To be okay with a half measure while they do nothing about the actual systemic problem. You have to ask yourself, 
why does the attitude of so many cops that there's nothing wrong with what was done? I mean, think about the fact that I, I think this is the first time I've ever seen cops. George Floyd specifically was the first time I've ever seen a cop denounce what another cop did. Um, and that was just because the shit was caught on tape in high def f- from multiple angles. Even though I've seen, I've seen worse. I've seen worse on tape. And so I don't know why this particular incident, maybe it's because politicians were found. I don't know. I don't know what about the George Floyd incident made it the thing that what cops were finding, like, we're not those, we're not Devin Chauvin. You know, remember that New York cop? We're all cops. <laughs> we're cops. I'm proud to be a cop. My whole, like, my whole family's cops. Treat us with some respect. We're cops. Remember that guy? I forget his name. But he was like the head of the benevolent police of New York or some shit. We're not David Chauvin. We're real caps. Um, but this is a, I don't know what it is. I mean, Tamir, to me, Tamir Rice was the. Because that happened so close to the Trayvon Martin thing. If you're not familiar, Tamir Rice was just he was a, he was 11 or 12 years old. 11 or 12. In the park with a gun, with a toy gun. Somebody called and said they saw somebody with a gun, but it was probably a toy. They shot that boy. They killed. They shot that boy in seven seconds. They pulled up within seven seconds that he was dead. And their, you know, and their reasoning was, well, he looked, he looked big for his age. He looked like an adult. He was twelve years old. And that, that did not spark national outrage. Um, so honestly, I think, or Philando Castile, um, you know, he was a gun owner, a lawful gun owner. And when he told the cop he had a legal firearm, he, he shot him immediately with his kids in the car, with his daughter in the car. That did not spark national outrage. So that, I mean, what that tells me is that it, it wasn't the, it wasn't necessarily the, the horrific nature of George Floyd's killing, but it was the fact that everyone didn't have anything to do. It was, everyone was so bored and only had that to focus on. And the, and the, it was, it, it was like the straw that broke the, it was like this release, you know? Um, so again, I'm, I don't know what happens, um, if shit goes back to how it was, if shit goes back to normal, if people have shit to do, if people have survival to worry about, will they still give a fuck? I don't know, man. That's not, cause that's not the American ethic that I've seen. That's how pe- people talk like that. We're Americans and we love each other and we love our neighbors, but we don't act like that. That's not our nature. So Call me a cynic. Maybe I fucked your day up by being negative about it all, but I just don't think we're going to quite pull this one out. Well, you think you think Joe Biden is your savior? I got to vote for the motherfucker. Because I've said this before, but I literally would take anyone but Trump. Anybody. Any other person. 
Because even the people that I still classify as probably evil, at least they're logical. You know, all the people that would that that are in that are anywhere around it, I would take any other Republican, actually. I would vote for Mitt Romney right now if I thought he could beat Trump. I really would. Like anybody else that would like that that actually like is a is a real human being. Because this guy, this guy is not a, a person. You understand what I'm saying? His and, and this is this is your fault, America. This is our fault for voting for these rich motherfuckers. You know what I mean? I will never, ever be f- uh, fully behind somebody that was born rich, even though Mitt Romney falls into that category. I don't know where his humanity comes from, you know, but I'm just, it's like, cause how can you understand the plight of the average person? You know, cause we, 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 people love to say that, well, he's a successful businessman, so he must know how to run. Really? You don't have to be intelligent to be a, a good businessman you just have to be evil how many times do i have to say that you just have to be willing to be evil support evil you know you have to be willing to let people die let people starve underpay your workers not offer them health care let them live on the welfare state that's it you don't have to be you, know, you can be i'm not saying being a successful businessman automatically makes you evil but i'm saying it doesn't automatically make you a genius because you were successful with business. Right? You just have to be willing to be a piece of shit to be a successful businessman. Oh, and by the way, start with a million dollars. Get a, Have a daddy that can loan you a few mil. Have a system that makes sure if you start with money that is very, very, very difficult for you to end up with none. And you can be a successful businessman. That does not make you smart. Does not make you qualified to run the fucking world. Right? Rants, rants, rants. Um, again, I feel like a fucking broken record. I feel like every episode I have to talk about these same things. Um, I think I missed something. Um, hit me. Uh, let's move on to some news stories, huh? Some ridiculous news. Um, Oh, this is, I love this. (laughs) Headlines. Amazon driver abandons delivery van. (laughs) Says he quits in viral tweet. Maybe I will stay on Twitter, goddammit. Let's read the story. Uh, A Detroit area Amazon delivery driver on Monday said he abandoned a van full of packages at a gas station. Wow. In a tweet that has since gone viral. Derek Lannister, known as Lil Derek on Twitter, said in a Monday tweet that he quit his job at Amazon and shared the full oh, and shared the location of his abandoned delivery van. Quotes, full of gas with the keys in the ignition, unquote, followed by another tweet sharing a photo of the parked van. Wow. The guy's thorough. Um, he says, quote, mentally, my health, I just couldn't keep working 13 hour days for that company. I feel you on that, bro. His tweet went viral and now has hundreds of thousands of likes and comments from other users expressing concerns about delayed packages while others cheered Lancaster for the move. Imagine that. 
Imagine being one of those fucking pieces of shit that's like, this guy is telling you that this job has sucked his fucking soul dry. So much so that he did the unthinkable and left that fucking van uh, at a gas station and told people where it was. He is that fed up with this shitty job. And here you are complaining that your package ain't on time. You missing the point, bitch. Don't nobody give a fuck about your package. This man, among all things, you going to tweet at that man? About your fucking package? Some of y'all need to read this book. It's called, um, um, hold on, what the fuck? I just bought it. I think it's called uh, Bullshit Jobs. Uh, that was my last um, Audible purchase. No, I'm not sponsored by Audible, motherfucker. Um, they, I guess they don't like to sponsor people that say fuck on their podcast. Um, but, uh, the book I just bought was called bullshit jobs, a theory by David Graeber. Okay. Uh, the audible version is narrated by Christopher Ragland, but it's a good read. It's a good read. Um, if you, if you want to get a good bead on, my philosophy about the way the society is set up, but, but the, the, you know, the, the basic premise of the book is just that um, most of your jobs are bullshit, right? Because, because we're really, the, the current capitalist system can't survive because it, it, it has to pretend to be willfully ignorant of the inevitable future where no one works. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? It's like, it's like, think about the technology right now, the automation. Blah, blah, blah. Now extrapolate that out into a hundred years or 200 years where there aren't any jobs. It's all done by robots and computers and androids, right? What's going to, ha- is everyone just going to starve? <laughs> right? I mean, we, we have to eventually get because that's why I, uh, you know, I was I was a big supporter of Andrew Yang because he was talking that real shit. Americans hate the idea of giving people free money, but that's really what it's going to have to be about because it's inevitable. It's inevitable. Your job, yes, your job is going to eventually be bullshit, and that's what happens. You know, to to try to cover up for the fact that it's already happening and that it's been happening for fifty years, they make up all of these bullshit jobs so they can give people a job, even though most people most people spend most of their time at work doing nothing because their job isn't necessary. You know, and then it creates the people that have those jobs to 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 make more intricate and uh, webs of bureaucracies to justify them being there because they're afraid that at any moment people will realize their job is bullshit and fire them or get rid of it or downsize. You know what I mean? So they, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to, they don't, they can't envision a world where we, where, where, where people aren't exploited, but also not starving in the street. So, I, I think it's all going to come crumbling down, man. I'm trying to tell you. And it's global. It's all, y'all got to understand, if the American economy goes down, the whole rest of the world's economy is going down. 
everything that happens here affects everything else. And a lot of these other countries are becoming weary of us. We used to be the gold standard. Everyone trusted us. Not everyone. <laughs> All the white countries trust, trusted us. All the white countries and some Latin and Israel, you know, trusted us as much as one country can trust another. Um, and now no one's looking over here for what we're doing about any of this shit. And I, I, okay. And I would be full of shit, um, as I'm talking about symbolic bullshit and bullshit jobs. I guess I would be a hypocrite or some sort of thing. I don't want to be, I don't know what the right word is. Um, my brain is mush right now. I didn't get high yet before I did this. Um, hey, that's not a bad idea. Where's my pen? Oh, God damn it, Brian. Where in the fuck is the weed pen at? Just saw it. I ain't there. Just had it in your mouth. Oh, man. Okay. <clears throat> so, the Washington Redskins. Washington Redskins are thinking about changing their name. Um, and uh, pe- people know I'm a, I was, I guess I, at some point in my life, I was a big Redskin fan. Um, I guess I couldn't, I can't bring myself to really root for another team. It's like, it feels like family to me, like betrayal. You know what I mean? Um, I, I had such an inconsistent um childhood and the redskins were really just a part of they were like one of the only consistent things to me so it's hard for me to go to so i just really you know I, and i also love football i love the strategy of it you know it's 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 a it's violence and strategy um and tactics all mixed together you know what i mean um the the in the nfl the margin between the best team and the worst team is very slim. It may not always appear so. You know, but the best team, if they're not playing their best and the worst team is playing their best, they can beat them. And it's happened before. It's literally happened where the best team, you know, a team uh, where teams are undefeated and then they lose to the worst team or they lose to their rival. That's their only losses. It's happened to the Redskins. Where their only losses during the season were to the Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys, their rival. Um, but anyway, so I, I, I've been a Redskins fan my whole life. Um, the, the name of the team being racist, uh, did not deter me. I, I <clears throat> and I don't know what that makes me, but, uh, uh, first of all, I mean, I guess I, I, I didn't, I didn't even think about it being racist until I was well, you know, well into my, my, my late twenties, early thirties. Cause it, it, you know, even though it is something that sort of, it came up every year, but not in DC, you know, it came up when I argue with Cowboys fans, but I, I don't know if they just hide it from the DC media or whatever, but it, it wasn't something that was talked about every year even though every year someone brought a lawsuit or like what would happen is some tribal chief would uh or some uh some native american organization would like 
make a stink about it, want a settlement or want a donation, not use it to help any of their people. <laughs> and then, and then no one would talk about it again. You know what I mean? So I don't know. You know, it was like, it was almost like a con. That's, that's how we looked at it. Um, but now given the climate and then, you know, the Redskins have always had racist owners. Um, I mean, the whole NFL pretty much except, but Art Rooney, maybe. <laughs> and, uh, and whoever owns the Ravens. Um, Everybody else is like, what can you do for me, boy? Um, but the NFL has always been a racist organization. I mean, they were, it wasn't, it was, when I was a child, it wasn't that long ago, they were forced to integrate by Congress. You understand that? The United States of America had to force them to let black people play, even though I think it's, I think it's almost universally known that on average, Black people are the best athletes. And I don't know why that is. I don't know what the gene is that makes niggas faster and quicker. I don't know, but it's true. It's a fact. We dominate almost every sport that we, that we are, uh, what's the word that we are highly represented in. And I don't know why that is, but it is. But, uh, you know, and I guess some people are threatened by that. Like, oh, the moment we let niggas in the football, it's going to be nothing but niggas. You know, so then they proliferated this idea that the, that a black person couldn't be quarterback because it's a it's a thinking man's position. You know what I'm saying? The NFL just always been, you know. But in this current climate, everybody everybody's racist shit is coming to bear, and they have to they have to, you know, they got they they have to, you know, throw that shit out the way or face the consequences. Anyway, my point is just all I've ever said about the the Washington Redskins changing the name is. I didn't care either way. That, that that was my old response. I didn't care either way, but I'm I'm also a realist. I know it's not going to change, right? And that was just because it's all about money. If you can't affect their money, you can't affect change. You can't make you can't make a business that's making money because because the people that the people that buy redskin tickets don't give a fuck that the name is redskins the people that buy merchandise don't care right so until you could affect that that dollar they, they daniel schneider the owner of the redskins said he would never change the name you know then the statue of our previous racist owner and his name escapes me for some fucking reason off the top of my head what was his fucking name but uh the 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 founder of the team they tore his fucking statue down was it George Allen um but he you know it is it's that kind of climate out here they ripping statues down and some more shit and um and that, and that didn't affect Daniel Schneider either but then now but then what happened see the Redskins play at FedEx Field right and and you you may not notice about stadiums but you know um some stadiums used to be named after people Okay, some still are. Stadiums used to be named after people or they would have some nickname that came from the town or something like that. But somewhere in my teens, they started selling off naming rights. So uh, almost every arena in America is now named after a corporation. You know, you got Staples Center. You got damn uh, M&T Bank Stadium. You know what I mean? It's like and the Redskins play at FedEx Field and and, and, and these companies, they pay, you know, 
you know, a hundred million to two hundred million dollars a year to have the stadium named after them. It's actually a brilliant advertising move because your name gets said every time the team is mentioned, which is thousands of times a, a week. You know, well, maybe that's a little bit of exaggeration because they don't always mention where they play. So maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's a thousand times a year. Your name, the name of your, your company is said on television. You know, um, it's said in every game of Madden. It's like, it's free advertising. It's worth every penny to these companies. But now FedEx was like, yo, you won't change that name or we going to stop paying for this stadium. And the city of DC was like, yo, you can't move to the new stadium until you change the name. And then these investors was like, yo, these companies are worth um, billions of dollars. We're like, yo, we, uh, we're going to pull this funding. We, we, we going to pull the fuck out. You got to change the name. See, once you start fucking with the money, then people come off those absolutes. I, I can't stand people that talk in absolutes. People that say always, never, everybody. You know what I mean? It's like, and mean it. I mean, obviously you you can say it for effect, but I mean, people that really, that literally mean never, always, everyone. It's like, cause you paint yourself into a corner. You, 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 you don't allow yourself to be logical. You don't allow yourself, you don't allow nuance into your arguments. Um, and now Daniel Schneider got to cut all of that always, never bullshit out. Right? Always, never. Okay. All right. I bet you're going to change that shit now. You ain't about to lose money. And the NFL won't allow you to. They'll vote your ass out. Now, it, it's time now, my nigga, because, listen, NASCAR has got rid of the Confederate flag. Now, if NASCAR can get rid of the Confederate flag, you can change the name of the Redskins. And I'm for it. And, and I, maybe I've always been for it or, or I, I, you know, I, I've been neutral and that's fucked up. <laughs> and, but that's only because I don't care about symbolic shit. You know, it's like Native Americans, they're probably Native Americans offended by your name, but you know what? They'd rather have land. They'd rather have their land back than, than, than you change your sports team. You know, it's like, and changing the name. And, and, and that's what's so weird. It's like, Daniel Schneider, you can't even do the symbolic shit that don't even matter at the, at a time when it would be easiest for you to do it. And not piss off your fans that are still racist. Uh, that's a wrap, bro. So, I mean, I'm going boy. Now I'm really am going boycott the Redskins because your commitment to racism is astonishing to me. You, you got to, you know, I mean, obviously it's easy to say because there's no football. There's no NFL now. But if he doesn't change it, I got to stop fucking with y'all completely. You know, before the Redskins were like. <sighs> You know, they were like, you know, my, you know, you know, like, like a criminal cousin that you, that you, that you had good childhood memories with and you check up on, check in on every now and then. But you know, they can't come to the house. You know what I mean? That, that friend, you know, it's like, yeah, not at my house, but, uh, I hope you're doing well. That friend, that, that, that cousin, that's what the Redskins were to me. It was like, you know, I, may, I might, I might go on YouTube and watch some illegal highlights or something like that, but I'm not, I'm not giving y'all no money. No. I'm not giving you no money. I'm not buying tickets. I'm not buying jerseys. My nigga, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not being emotionally invested in the outcome of the games, you know? Um, but now I'm, I think I'm going to even have to stop doing that because it seems, it seems sort of ridiculous that, that, that this team is so committed, that this owner is so committed to 
something that doesn't have to be, which, which is, which is really a beautiful, uh, metaphor for the way he's run the team. You know, he, he will bring in somebody that is familiar, a general manager that's familiar rather than somebody that's going to do a good job, rather than somebody that's going to shake things up, rather than somebody that is actually good at what they do. He'd rather bring in somebody that's loyal to him that, or somebody that he, whose name he recognizes rather than somebody that's a beast. I mean, uh, what the, what's the motherfucker's name? The last time I checked, the general manager was, uh, something Allen. You know, he ruined the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and he, but he was the son of the previous owner. It's like, like, is this motherfucker so nostalgic? Anyway, um, you know, change the fucking name. Some, and I think the best thing somebody recommended was the Red Tails because there was the, that was the name of the, uh, of, uh, the squadron. F- uh, that was the name of one of the squadrons f- of the Tuskegee Airmen, which was an all black, um, was an all black wing of I don't know if it was the Air Force or the Army. Actually, it, I think the Air Force used to be the Army Air Corps, um, but I'm not sure if this was at that time. But they were. It was an all black, all black fighter pilots. Um, and it's a military, and it's the perfect solution. It's right in front of his fucking face. There's other suggestions, but that's the most perfect one. The Washington Red Tails. Boom, get it done, Daniel Snyder. You fucking idiot. Not that you listen to my podcast, or maybe you do. And I've never called you an idiot before, but I mean it, you know, and also don't listen. I don't give a fuck if you listen or not, unless you own. Oh, you don't know where I broadcast this from. So who gives a fuck? Um, I don't know how I turned from talking about the Amazon delivery guy to uh, to talking about um, the Washington Redskins. But, you know, my brain is. Does what it wants. And, uh, you know what? Damn, I've been talking for an hour. Let's wrap it up. Let's do our black history moment and wrap it up. Um, I found this on, what is this? The Montgomery advisor, but, uh, it's the story of, uh, the lost congressman. Uh, he was a slave at 18. A state legislator at 24, a congressman at 28, beast mode, and a prisoner at 48. Ain't that some shit? That's how black America, that's how America do you, bro. <laughs> that motherfucker went from slave. Look, that, that, that right there is the perfect metaphor for what happens to African Americans in America. He was a, he started as a slave. He moved on to be part of the state legislature and then moved on to be part of the national legislature and then was in prison at, at 48. His name was Jeremiah Harrelson. Um, he had a most remarkable life and then he just vanished. <laughs> um, Jeremiah Harrelson listened as the ex-Confederate accused him of forgery. Um, basically he was accused of forgery by a racist, by another racist congressman that couldn't stand that a nigger had the same power as him. It was just basically a complete fucking cover up. He went from slavery to Congress and then they fucking destroyed his reputation and he mysteriously disappeared. And it was mysteriously never investigated. 
<laughs> you know, I'm not going to read this whole fucking article to you, but that's pretty much what it boiled down to. His name was James Harrelson. Um, he was a remarkable fucking person. And America spit in his face. 